You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Stoicism has become a popular topic today. For entertainers, executives, and people who feel out of control of their lives, Stoicism can be an anchor to help them get through the day. It teaches them to focus on what they can directly control. But it's not a new concept. In fact, Stoicism dates all the way back to ancient Greece. When we think of the ancient Stoic philosophers, such as Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus, we imagine serious thinkers— Men and women who pondered the great questions of the universe and wrote long treatises on how to navigate life. What we don't imagine is their sense of humor. And that's because they didn't write about it. Plato wrote a paragraph about humor here and there, usually in the midst of discussing another topic entirely. But he shunned laughter. He considered it, in his words, a certain kind of evil. But not everyone felt that way. In fact, one philosopher loved to laugh. Maybe a bit too much. His name was Chrysippus, born in 279 BC in a part of the world that is now present-day Turkey. But Chrysippus didn't start out as a philosopher. You see, when he was younger, his lean frame made him a formidable long-distance runner. Over time, he endured some hardships in life, such as the loss of property that he inherited from his father, which was claimed by the king. With little to his name, Chrysippus moved to Athens to study under the tutelage of Stoic philosopher Cleanthes. He became a true student of Stoicism, learning as much as he could and even teaching the philosophy to himself. He became an expert, and upon Cleanthes' death, it was Chrysippus who took his place at the head of the Stoic school in 230 BC. On top of his ambitious educational regimen, he also wrote at least 500 lines of work each day. Throughout his lifetime, Chrysippus authored over 700 texts, never afraid to play devil's advocates or, occasionally, plagiarized the works of his contemporaries. Sadly, very little remains of his body of work. Only about 475 fragments still exist, but his influence on Stoicism can still be felt to this day. For example, he believed that living a happy life was the equivalent of living a virtuous life, and that vice led to unhappiness. When it came to Stoicism, the buck stopped with Chrysippus. But he wasn't just all about serious writings and debates. He also enjoyed having a good time, when he was 73 years old, for example, Chrysippus attended the 143rd Olympiad, a four-year period where athletes competed in various games of strength and skill. The Olympiad is where our modern Summer Olympics come from. At some point during this Olympiad, Chrysippus caught a donkey eating his figs. The sight tickled him so much that he broke out into a laughing fit. He shouted, Now give the donkey a pure wine to wash down the figs. The laughter continued until he collapsed, still laughing, 
after which he seized and began foaming at the mouth. By the time the incident was over, Chrysippus had died. It was believed that he had died from laughter, a strange concept, but not entirely unfounded. In the 5th century BC, another man met a similar fate. His name was Zeusix, a painter from Greece who had been working on a painting of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Except rather than depict her as most did, a beautiful young woman, he chose to go a different route. Zeusix painted Aphrodite as an old hag, an act that caused him to break out into spontaneous, uncontrollable laughter. Well, as with Chrysippus, Zeusix died mid-laugh, and those who found him believed that he had been punished by the gods for what he had done. But did these men really die from laughing too hard? Well, it's possible. It's a real condition called laughter-induced syncope, and it's caused by a rapid decrease in blood pressure. Usually, the person merely passes out, but sometimes the patient actually dies. There was even a case of laughter-induced syncope in 1997, when a 62-year-old man died laughing during an episode of the TV show Seinfeld. It's certainly a scary thought that a well-timed joke or a funny story could be a case of life and death. But I will say this. Whoever coined the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, probably should have consulted a doctor first. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The modern conveniences that we'd enjoy today had to start somewhere. Automobiles, smartphones, and televisions started as clunky, complicated contraptions, but have evolved over generations into core parts of our daily lives. However, one technology hasn't changed much over the years. Because two brothers in 18th century France got it right the first time. 
and didn't chicken out when it mattered most. Joseph Michel and Jacques Etienneier Montgolfier were born in the 1740s, five years apart. They were two of 16 children, all part of a family that had made its fortune manufacturing paper since the mid-1500s. Joseph, the older of the two brothers, had grand ideas for how his life should go. He was an inventor at heart, but lacked a business-oriented mind. He wasn't good with money, either. Jacques, on the other hand, was the opposite. He was the rational brother who had planned on becoming an architect. That is, until their oldest sibling, Raymond, passed away, forcing Jacques to take over the paper company instead. And Jacques brought the company into the modern age with cutting-edge advancements adapted from the Dutch, who were making serious strides in the science of paper production. Joseph, on the other hand, had his head in the clouds. Literally. When he was 35, the aspiring inventor made his own parachute, which he tested himself by jumping off the roof of his house. However, it was clean laundry that gave him a glimpse at what was aeronautically possible. He'd been sitting in front of a fire, a fresh load of laundry strung over the flames to dry, when he noticed how the warm air filled the fabrics. Catching the hot air, they filled and lifted like sails on a ship. Joseph believed that the smoke was what caused them to rise, specifically a gas inside the smoke. He dubbed it the Montgolfier gas. The sight of the cloth reminded Joseph of the stories of Gibraltar, whose fortified city was all but impenetrable. Enemies approaching could not breach a single gate, nor scale its walls. He imagined soldiers floating overhead instead, attacking from above, hoisted by the powerful force of the Montgolfier gas. So Joseph set out to test his theory in 1782 by building a three-foot-tall wooden box, topping it with a taffeta cover. He dropped a few pieces of crushed-up paper and set them ablaze and watched as the box floated upward on the heat. That was all he needed to see. He wrote a letter to his brother Jacques, urging him to purchase taffeta and rope in bulk. Together, the brothers produced a similar box, but three times as large as the first. They launched it into the air by igniting a pile of hay and wool that was inside the box. It drifted for some time before crash-landing a mile away. By June of 1783, just a year later, the Montgolfier brothers had created something special. It wasn't a box anymore, but a balloon. A massive one, made of sackcloth and coated with paper on the inside. Despite its rudimentary construction, the Montgolfier brothers' version looked very similar to the hot air balloons we fly today, with a globe-like shape on the top that narrowed down to a funnel toward the bottom. In front of a group of distinguished guests from all over France, the brothers demonstrated the balloon's capabilities in a maiden flight that covered a range of roughly 1.2 miles and reached a maximum altitude of just over 6,000 feet. And it was a roaring success. Jacques started touring the country to showcase the balloon to other cities and officials, establishing the brothers as the Orville and Wilbur Wright of their generation. But unmanned flights were only part of the equation. What people really wanted to see was a person piloting that balloon. After all, the true success of the invention was in whether it could transport people from one place to another. And so in September of that year, a new balloon was unveiled. This was made of taffeta and covered in a chemical compound called alum, which helped it withstand the fire. And attached at the bottom was a large basket. King Louis XVI, unsure of whether a living creature would survive such a flight, suggested putting a few criminals inside it to test it. The brothers, though, took a different route. They instead loaded the balloon with a rooster, a duck, and a sheep. Why? Well, to understand it, you have to think like an 18th century European. The duck could already fly, so it was chosen as a control subject, while the rooster, which almost never flew, would be observed in relation to the duck, 
and the sheep was selected due to the belief that its physiology was similar to that of a human. On September 19th of 1783, at the Palace of Versailles, Jacques and Joseph sent the tiny Noah's Ark soaring into the blue. An audience of thousands came to witness the event, as did King Louis and the Queen, Marie Antoinette. They watched the balloon take off and reach an altitude of 1,500 feet. It drifted for almost two miles before landing somewhere in the woods, eight minutes after launch. The animals were fine, although probably traumatized by the incident, but they paved the way for human trials, which began a few months later. From there, the sky literally was the limit. The Montgolfier brothers changed the world of aviation. That much is clear. And they did it by betting the farm. On a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.